My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. I can remember um, literally crying as I was walking down the street, talking to all these, telling about what had just happened, um, knowing that we're just about to settle this property. um, And yeah, I just lost my job. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with licensed real estate agent, developer and founder of Your Style Homes, Dean Parker. We follow his transition from unemployed IT worker to full-time property developer leading to his involvement in over 450 property transactions total over $160 million. Parker's business abides by its mission, satisfaction beyond the keys. He runs a full-service property company who strive to maximize both capital growth and rental return prospects for every single client. Through over two decades of property experience, he's done it in all and succeeded with some bumps along the way. Now, his favorite activity is helping others who are perhaps just starting out. I was formerly IT but I've been able to um, get out of the IT industry uh, and uh, be a full-time property, I guess, investor slash educator slash developer. So, um, that's what I generally spend my time doing. Uh, Well, generally, uh, we have a team of eight staff. Uh, We are running our projects, so we have uh, residential and I guess commercial projects that we undertake Uh, and so we're managing those projects and at the same time, uh, we're now running some educational events to try and help other people, uh, I guess, run or get into property and be effective uh, in property and to not lose money and to hopefully make some money along the way. Uh, but we also offer property management services to our clients as well. So I guess what we're trying to do is is offer a full turnkey system where people can, can I guess, first meet us via potentially an education event, um, whether that be a first home buyer event or a property investing event. Uh, they can then have a look at the type of properties that we uh, offer um, to our clients. And then if they decide to go ahead with something, uh, we can also offer property management services because I guess I got frustrated handing our properties over to uh, property managers who weren't doing a very good job at it. So, uh, yeah, we decided to do that ourselves um, so we could offer the best possible service. Parker now lives and breathes property as both a rewarding career and passion. 
But it wasn't always like this. In fact, this wasn't really the plan. Uh, I was born in Ballarat in regional Victoria and stayed there, I think, till I was about grade two or grade three. Uh, I missed, I think, almost all of grade two because I had, um, I had a, I got salmonella, which was a, um, a disease. Well, it wasn't really, it was a sickness, let's call it, that no one really knew about at the time. Um, and although it wasn't contagious, um, and although I did get very sick from it, um, was in hospital for a significant amount of time. Um, I, I missed the whole of grade two, I think, because, um, again, because it wasn't very well known at the time, um, I ended up having to, I was basically stopped from going to school. So I did schooling from home that year. But then uh, the year after we moved to, to Melton, which was, um, I guess, probably about an hour out of the city, out of Melbourne. Um, and that's where I, I guess, finished off my primary schooling and did all of all of my high school. Now, I went from high school straight into uni and did a double degree. So I went to Deakin Uni down in Geelong and did a Bachelor of uh, Commerce, majoring in accounting and management, and also a Bachelor of Science, majoring in information systems. Now, I was four years for that course, um, full-time. So, yeah, I got that course f- finished in full-time and then... I guess with that education, um, it it, fig- it worked best to go into an IT job that required some accounting knowledge. So uh, I started as an accountant for a very short period of time just through a, a friend's uh, business to get some experience, but then um, was able to get a job at IBM uh, and worked for IBM for a few years uh, before uh, being headhunted uh, by a Melbourne company and then moving into Melbourne and and working there for a few years as well. From the outside looking in, Parker's career in IT was on the rise. However, for Parker himself, something just wasn't right. I wouldn't say I was happy being an IT person, probably. Um, I went there probably because it was an interest at the time and I guess my parents had probably, we never really had a lot of of money as a family. and my mum always wanted me to go off and educate myself and, and I guess try to create a better life. So, um, yeah, I went, went to uni and did that sort of course um, probably because, yeah, as, as I said at the time, it was an interest. But I guess I wasn't a big fan of sitting behind a, a desk day in, day out, um, just working on computer programs, which is basically what I was. So I was a, a web designer to start with and then went into a... I guess a system analyst role, so I'd go into businesses and actually help to help them define their systems and then um, actually build them for them. So um, I guess that's what I was doing. But yeah, I guess it wasn't overly exciting. So I I was always looking for something else. But the I guess that property thing came about because um, I realised that we were it was going to take forever to save up for a dwelling. So it was it was more about let's have a look at property and and see what we can do there and see if we can make some money in that way. For Parker and his now wife, the daily grind was now taking its toll without any reward. They felt there had to be another way that was better. It really took a well-known property expert to help them settle on property as they escaped. Uh, I guess that's how we got started. So I was an IT person, my wife was an IT person and we were looking for a way to, I guess, improve our lives. And I mean, when I say improve our lives, we were both on reasonably good salaries. Um, we 
were in a position though where we had finance cards and were saving, trying to save for a house, and um, we realised that we were probably going backwards rather than forwards. So uh, we figured that we had to do something different outside of our jobs in order to um, save for a deposit quickly. So we were looking at all sorts of things, shares and anything that we could find at all to um, to try and make some money. Um, and I guess it was through uh, the first book, or not first book, but the main book that I probably, um, I guess, had a, a significant liking to was Steve McKnight's book, Zero to 130 Properties, in three and a half years. So I guess that particular book um, was full of really good educational content and then uh, Steve at that time was running educational events and uh, although we'd been to probably at least a dozen if not more um, different speaking events trying to find I guess a solution to making more money um, and quicker um, Steve was probably the first guy that we met that seemed to be very legitimate um, and had really good content so for me now um, because I don't think there's anyone really out there doing that. And I know Steve uh, doesn't do live events anymore himself. Um, we want to basically, I guess, fill that void and provide those live education events to people um, based on actually experience of what we've done over the last 14 years. And that's, um, yeah, we've, we've done a fair bit in the last 14 years. So I'm happy to really looking forward to passing that information on. There are other investment tools than property. So why was Parker reading about property in the first place? I think it was probably just because it was the easiest thing to understand. Like I, we'd never owned shares again, as I said before, my we never had a real a lot of money. My, my parents weren't tertiary educated or anything like that. Um, my old man had worked at Australia Post for a lot, long time and my mum was a nurse. So there was not like there was a whole heap of, um, I guess, education or anything passed down. Um, and not to say that like I'm, I'm not happy about that from them, it's just they didn't know what they didn't know. So, um, so yeah, so from that point of view, um, it was probably just fundamentally from, from my parents, I guess, being, being a good person, doing the right thing, I guess that's what we got from them. But realistically, property was more about just the fact that it was, it was something familiar. I mean, everyone lives in a house, you sort of understand how it works a bit. So um, I guess that works, but shares were were pretty foreign that was like another language to me so um, I, I thought property was a was an easier thing to get into. Having made up his mind, Parker had to act. Like so many first investments, it wasn't exactly smooth sailing. I guess it was searching for that better life but two, just um, we, we actually were able to, I guess when we, to go back, what we when we were living in the city, we were trying to buy an apartment in there um, and I mean we were leasing in the city and we were realising that's when we were going backwards because we were paying for our our, um, our cars and our, our rent and our lifestyle that we had in there. Uh, we actually, I think we, we'd started with about $8,000 of savings, well at least did, I, I don't think I had anything um, and at the end of that year we'd actually gone backwards a little bit. So. Um, that was the first thing and I guess that led to then the realisation that we were not going to be able to afford to to buy something in the city which was pretty devastating. Um, so we had to look for other options and the first place we bought was, uh, my wife called it the Stinky Brown Unit which was this very cheap two bedroom Mission Brown, um, very mouldy unit that we bought in Melton which is 
probably the lowest socio-economic area in in Melbourne. Um, well, it was at the time. It was the cheapest housing, but um, that's that's where we that's where we bought. Um, but I guess the the other thing that happened uh, three weeks before settlement was that I actually lost my job. So I'd been in IT uh, for oh, what maybe five or six years at that time. I'd gone. Through, I was at IBM. I'd been headhunted by this other company, um, and then we walked into uh, the into work one day, and there was about 50 staff, um, and 25 of us went into one room, and the other 25 went into another. And I was unfortunately in the room where I was told to um, our service was were no longer required, and to head back to our desk, grab our personal belongings, not to not to touch the computers or the files or anything, and to and to exit as quickly as we possibly could without any fuss, and to and that that was it. Basically, we'd get paid four weeks of pay and and thank you very much. And at that time, IT jobs were hard to find. So I can remember um, literally crying as I was walking down the street, talking to all these, telling about what had just happened, um, knowing that we're just about to settle this property. Um, And yeah, I just lost my job. So that probably was realistically the catalyst for for trying to take a bit more control of our life to go, you know what, we just don't want to be in a position where um, we go to work and one day someone can just take that blanket out from underneath you. So it was more being more control of our life and control of our own destiny. So, yeah, that's definitely was a factor. Um, I mean, it was, the I guess, the combination of all of those things to say, hey, well, a job's not going to get us there, but oops, hold on, now the job's no longer there. We need to go off and do something different. Parker would love to say his circumstances changed as quickly as his mindset. However, the reality of his story is much more impactful. It took me another eight months to get a job. Like I, I was doing some con- consulting to some businesses in the short term, but IT was hard at that time. The, that whole millennium bug thing had gone through and it, the IT industry really expanded. But then as that cooled off, then the IT jobs uh, got harder to find. But I, I eventually did get another IT job. Um, and and was doing that when we really started looking hard for for those other options to get out of um, out of our jobs and to I, I mean I got that job just to keep us going until we could find a solution and, and that's when we really started looking into that property side of things. When we don't see results straight away, it's hard not to lose hope. This is especially the case without the benefit of a property education. For Parker, this truth hits close to home. No, nah, just one. Yeah, I've got one younger sister. She's a dental nurse, so she's um, she still lives uh, in Melton. My parents both, oh, my, 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 they've actually separated now, unfortunately. But my parent lives in um, in Werribee, and my mum still lives in Melton in the same house I was brought up in. And my sister lives just around the corner, basically. So yeah, they're um, they do their thing. They don't really understand a lot of what I do. Um, and it, I can remember when we started. Really getting into property, my mum was always um, questioning what we were doing and very concerned because I'd gone off to uni, done all this degree, and then all of a sudden she felt that I was going to throw that all away uh, by renovating houses and things, which we that's what we started doing basically. Um, so she thought we were a little bit crazy for, for doing that and for giving up all that education that uh, we'd undertaken, but I guess she didn't realise that 
all of that education actually was helping us with what we were doing. So, I mean, maybe not the IT stuff straight away, but definitely the accounting degree and the management degree, and that helped us obviously do the financials for our for the deals that we started doing, and then managing the people that we're working with. And as we've progressed, our our business is is definitely heavily focused on IT and that systems analyst. Uh, role that I was doing. We've, we were able to create a whole heap of systems around what we did. And I think that's fundamentally why we were able to do so much in such a short period of time, um, as, as opposed to, I guess, what other people can or have been achieving. Despite his immense success in property, the only sell Parker is yet to pull off is sadly one of the most important, his extended family. To be honest, they don't really... Um, they don't really ask that much. They know what we do, but it's not like they go out to our projects or, I mean, I've got friends and, and other people that are definitely a lot more interested. They they know we're in property and we run a property business, but they don't know that we're building. I mean, my mum probably has been out to one or two of the projects, but but not a lot. They don't, um, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's one of those things that when you, um, I can remember, I guess going to off all these education events and one of the things that Steve would always say um, early on was that you're going to find that people are going to probably knock you down more than more than support you because they don't understand what's going on and, and that was definitely the case for us early on. Um, most of our friends and family just didn't understand what we were doing and thought we were probably going to some cult rather than um, I guess going somewhere to, to educate ourselves and better our lives. So um, And realistically they still don't really understand it, I guess. Um, and that's, I mean, we went with, once we started in that education thing and and, and learnt that that support network was really great, um, like we did that for years and years and years and went to plenty of events and then helped out at events. And, and that's why I'm really passionate about, um, I, I guess, about bringing those really good, high quality training events back. Um, because I think for us especially, that's where it all began. And that was our opportunity to break out of a, I guess, a pattern of of a lifestyle that um, that my parents and sister still live, and yeah, we've been able to, I guess, get out of that and build significant wealth and and be different. So I'm I'm really grateful for it. On the path to becoming different, Parker's first property purchase was certainly unique and had special qualities. Basically, because it was cheap, um, we like I said, we had very little money to start with. Um, basically nothing. I think we'd, we'd used a lot of that savings that we'd had. So, um, and we didn't really want to rely on family members to to give us a start. So at the time, there was a $7,000 first homeowners grant that uh, that we could get. So what we did that, I think we paid $77,000 for that unit and the grant was 7000 and we got a 95% loan, which meant we needed about $3,700 or whatever it was as a deposit. Uh, there was some lender's mortgage insurance in there and some legal fees, but I'm pretty sure on settlement day, we actually got paid like $800 or something for settling that property. So we didn't put any of our own money into it at all. So the grant paid for the, the deposit um, and the bank paid for the rest. So from that point of view, that was the only way we could really get into the into the market. The plan was to live in it, um, but as I said, I lost my job just prior to settling it and we actually, I don't know how I convinced Elise to do it because we'd only really just started dating not that long earlier, but um, we actually moved back into my parents' um, house. So, Pretty much at rock bottom, Parker's fortunes could only improve. 
Looking back now, he'd think it's hilarious that they really didn't, at least not in the ways he expected. This first property that was really a step backwards anyway because we were living in, in South Bank in Melbourne having this great life. We've got this realisation that we can't afford it. Um, we've gone and bought this terrible, mouldy, stinky unit in Melton and then we can't even afford to, to move into that because because I lost my job. So, um, so yeah, it wasn't a great start uh, back then, but but that's what we did, and I guess we were willing to we were willing to sacrifice, I guess, to get in, and that's probably one thing looking back. And I guess if you talk about help, like helping people out, that's it's definitely one thing that we did. We um, we made sure that we that we made decisions that were for the future and not for the now, and and that was part of that. So we yeah, as I said, we moved in with my parents and swallowed a pretty bitter pill and um, stayed there for I think almost a year to save up some money um, to in order to buy another property. Undeterred by his bad luck, all Parker and his then girlfriend could do was see out their plan to the end. We did a very we went a, we went we did a very quick tidy up basically. So I can remember like there was mold in the shower and everywhere, and we like I got in there and scrubbed it all out and took the grout out and re- had someone come around and reseal it. We just cleaned the place up. But we were actually able to rent it out for $150 a week. So it actually meant that it was a positively geared property, uh, which was good. So we accidentally stumbled across that. It wasn't um, it, it wasn't a purpose purposely uh, bought property for that um, positive cash flow, but that's what it ended up being, which was great. Um, and the good thing, I guess, about that is because it was such a good rent, um, and it, by the time we'd sort of done that quick little cleanup, it was it was neat and tidy, although it was still brown. Um, I think it was probably about 18 months later where we were able to refinance and take some equity out of it um, to actually use for other purposes. With a little luck and a lot of hard work, Parker had conquered his first property challenge victoriously. Feeling confident, it was on to the next. At that time, we didn't. I didn't know Steve when we first out, when we bought our first property. So um, we bought that one. As I said, we saved up uh, that next twelve months and had some money, and then used the equity out of that little unit that we had bought to buy another house. Uh, so we bought a house again in Melton because now we're there. We sort of figured, all right, well, we sort of know this area now. Um, and look, that's where my parents were at the time anyway. So that sort of worked out all right. So yeah, we went um, and bought a, another house, and it was uh, half renovated. So it was a husband and wife that had separated halfway through a renovation, had half a kitchen, the bathroom had been renovated, but basically some of the walls had been pulled out. Um, there was tiles on some of the floor and not others. It was just a mess, but that was perfect for what we wanted because we were happy to get in there and actually do our first, I guess, renovation. Um, and again, it was it, that was something that took us 18 months, oh sorry, 12 months to actually complete. Um, but by the end of it, because we'd done all the work ourselves, we made a, a pretty substantial gain out of that as well, which was good. Success is often spoken of in the same sentence as sacrifice. Parker's experiences confirm this truth, but he's actually gained much more than money. We lived in it for the 12 months. That's why it took 12 months because uh, we would, we're still both working full time. So we would, and at this time, um, the thing we didn't realize um, when you move out to Melton um, to buy a cheaper property um, is that if you li- if you work in the city like we both were doing, it was taking us an hour and a half to get in there, an hour and a half to get back. So um, the traffic over the Westgate Bridge was a nightmare. So we would uh, basically, 
just work during the week and then um, Friday night, Saturday and Sunday we would get the paintbrushes out or get whatever we could uh, and do as much work as we could over the weekend. Um, and again, our friends and family thought we were mad because they were all off playing sport or doing whatever they were doing and we were just working to try and get this renovation done. Uh, but that took us 12 months to actually turn that three-bedroom, one-bathroom house into, into a place that we could actually say was finished. But, um, yeah, we, we lived in it half renovated or quarter renovated or partly renovated the whole time, basically. So uh, it was, again, it was another little challenge that we undertook, but, yeah, but it was worth it in the long run. So it was actually good fun. We, we actually really both enjoyed it and we both got our hands dirty and it was... Um, I, look back at photos now and there's photos of us both painting and one of the funny things that I, I looked back at a photo the other day and when I was preparing a presentation actually and we had these um it was this paint system we bought at a home show and they're these like pads and um that were at the home show and they told us it was the quickest way to paint a house and we got sucked into that and used these things and it took us probably five times longer to paint than if we had to use rollers and a brush um, and yeah, we obviously don't do that. We, I mean, we learnt that rollers and a brush were better because that's what every other painter used. But anyway, we got sucked into the stupid pad system thing, and yeah, that's probably why uh, the renovation was a long, lot longer than what it used to, what it should have. Because again, neither of us had any trade background at all. This was just us having a bit of a crack as as kids, so it was good. Some investors are satisfied with a few positive property experiences. After his third flip, Parker could have stopped then and there with a healthy gain. We bought those two properties and then we're able to, we, we, re, we renovated that one and then we're able to pull the equity out of that to buy a third. So we had three properties, but then we had, um, we basically maxed out. We couldn't do anything else thereafter. So that's when we actually went to Steve's, um, that's when I read the book, that's when we went to Steve's seminars and things like that. And we realized that the only way to move forward uh, would be to sell those properties. So we actually sold all three of them. Uh, in the next six months um, in order to free up all of that capital then to go off and, and do the next project. Um, but yeah, so I guess at the time of, from the education onwards, um, which was 2004, or halfway through 2003, I think. Um, yeah, so the, in that 14 years after, we've been involved in 454 property transactions, which um, works out to about one sale or purchase of a property every 11 days during that period of time. So, yeah, we've been pretty busy. Over 400 property transactions, Parker's got some real stories to tell. He says if you've seen some of the things he has, you never say the real estate world is boring. It's actually a tough one because I get asked that a lot and we haven't had a necessarily bad project uh, or property deal. Um, I guess the only thing that would spring to my mind is a there's a property we bought in Ballarat um, that I can remember the the day after we bought it we went, or it had settled we walked into it and I fell through the floor of it um, but, but but we did know that we were going to redo the floor anyway but um, but yeah look we've definitely seen some very interesting types of houses over the years um, we've renovated. 220 something properties and built another 200 and something properties so um yeah through that time there's been definitely some very interesting and um odd looking houses that we've bought and and done over that period so well we definitely had one that had been used uh as a drug house um so uh, there was 
it was this same agent we'd gone through um, and you, I'd, I'd walked into the garage. So th- this is one we didn't buy, but we bought the one, the next one we looked at this day. But we've gone into it and the garage from the outside looked really big. And then you, you got into it and there's like, the garage didn't look as big on the inside. And they built this fake wall at the back of it um, in steel, but there's this little bit you could slide out. And then all of a sudden in the back of that, that's where they were growing their, their drugs, which is incredible. This is Melton for you, unfortunately. Um, but then the, the house that we did buy at auction, um, actually it wasn't at auction, it went to auction, we bought it afterwards. Um, so when we started renovating that, we, we found all of the um, the holes in the ceiling where they had all the exhaust fans. So like in the bedrooms, there was two bedrooms at the front of the house that had um, basically about 20 exhaust fan holes in, in both those bedrooms. And that also, um, that also mo- or cut the power or the power where it came into the actual building that actually modified that to go straight to these fans rather than to the electrical switchboard or the meter board so that no one would knew how much power they were using. So pretty sophisticated types of uh, setups that uh, we'd uncovered. But, but yeah, there's, there was that anything from that to 100-year-old houses that were re- renovated to, um, to places that were just completely, sadly, just very dirty and um, wet. People have lived there as tenants for 10, 20 years and that's just not been maintained by anyone. And so we've been able to move some 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 people out of properties that they really shouldn't have been living in any way into better properties. So so from that point of view, it's yeah, it's been a mixed bag of all sorts of things. But how did Parker start the transition from small-time investor to multi-million dollar developer? The better question is probably not how but who. Look, I think probably the realisation... Or I mean, we we started by doing everything us by doing everything ourselves, and I can remember um, Steve and Dave always. Um, and when I say Dave, Dave, Dave Bradley. So we were, I guess, we got very close with with both of those guys, having um, I guess been to a lot of their events and things. Um, and we did go to the Kiwi Adventure, which was a which was a trip that they. Um, I guess I think it was about 20 of us that went over to New Zealand and it was about how to buy positive cash flow properties over there. So we, the first day you sit in a room um, and they teach you about the property market and how to buy what a contract is and they had a solicitor come in and an accountant come in and make sure you structured it properly and all that sort of thing and basically how the numbers would work. And, um, and then at the end of it, end of that first day, it was basically then five days to go off and buy property and then come back at the end of the week and report back to to the group of how many positive cash flow properties um, that you'd bought. So I remember um, we didn't have, again, we had some money when I went over there, but not a lot. Like it was more for me, it was about getting experience and again, just more education. Uh, but I went over there and uh, we bought I bought a couple of houses, I think. Um, I bought a house for like 50 grand that was rented out for $125 a week and another um, duplex that was, I think, about 75 grand that was rented for $120 each. Um, But uh, at the end of the week, uh, I got back and there was about four properties and we didn't have enough money to to pay for these anyway, like I was going to have to talk to people when I got home to try and source the money. Parker says being placed in an environment of accountability with like-minded people took his journey to the next level. 
In the property space, these kind of once-in-a-lifetime opportunities don't come up every day. Parker never wants to take it for granted. I guess that was one thing in itself was actually stepping out my comfort zone to do that. Uh, but when we went back, um, I remember um, I'd, I'd actually seen a block of four units uh, that was for sale and I, it was right at the end I went, I can't afford this. So, like even though it's a really good positive cash flow deal, I can't do it. But I'd gone back to, to report back and I was telling people about this block of units and, and Dave, Bradley uh, and Steve overheard me um, and I can remember one of them, okay, I think it was Steve, um, challenged me basically and said, Dean, that's probably the best positive cash flow deal that anyone's found and you left it there. Like, what's going on? I said, well, I don't have enough money to buy it. And I remember the words were, if the deal's good enough, the money will come. And those words have stayed with me forever because we've, I guess we've never, I've bought hundreds of properties and, and not necessarily ever had the money to, to settle them at the time I've bought them, but I've always been able to find a way because um, if the deal's good enough, the money's gone. It was time to put his money where his mouth was or go home. Depending on the outcome, Parker's next decision could ruin his finances or even his relationships. So what happened was he said, you've got 10 minutes to call that agent and buy it yourself. Otherwise, I'm going to do it. As in, I'll buy it myself and you'll miss out on it. I'm like, all right, well, there's a challenge. So yeah, I called up the agent and bought the property um, and I think it was we paid $82,000 for four two-bedroom units in Tokoroa and they were rented for $115 each. So this was like 460 bucks of income on 80 grand. So it was a huge yield um, and better than anything that was going on out there. And um, through talking to all these agents during that week, I realized that there was one agent that was selling property um, based on yield. So that, that particular property, um, we sold about four months later for I think 170,000 um, because we'd gone to an agent that was a city agent that was selling stuff purely based on return. So um, he said, I can get you 12% return and we might've bought the thing for 19 or 20%. I can't remember exactly what it was, but so we just gave it to him and he sold it. So we did nothing. I, d I don't think I even went through the property at all. Um, and we made about 70 or 80 grand um, after all costs. And, and that, so one, it taught me about if the deal is good enough, the money will come. But that particular deal allowed me then to take a year off work because we just earned a year of salary um, basically in that one deal to actually take that next step to go, you know what, we're going to do this full time. So um, that was definitely um, a, a, a moment that, that definitely changed our life, that's for sure. And if you want to call it an aha moment, that, def that was definitely something that happened at that time. I guess it was just that all these little things that were learning outcomes in that one trip meant, um, yeah, that we could actually take a year off and I could have a red, red hot crack at, at uh, doing property full time. Coming up after the break, we dive into the development mindset that transformed Parker's return. All of a sudden, we, we looked at the pro property differently altogether. We could renovate the house plus build one in the backyard uh, and that's where it all began. Plus, the most common rookie investment mistakes and importantly, how to avoid them altogether. This is their first investment um, and they're going to lose a hundred grand. And that's next. I'm Taran Shum and you're listening to Property Investory.
Hey, let's be real. Deals that can yield 20 to 30% per annum do exist. Don't believe me? Well, here's a story about property development I invested in Victoria. This developer had the project fully funded beforehand but he and his family suffered a loss, a circumstance that led him to be unable to proceed with the development. So, I stepped in and in two weeks, we funded the shortfall allowing for the development to continue. Five months later, the development was refinanced and we received our funds back with interest. Yes, there are amazing opportunities in the property market like this one. So, do you want to get a better return with low risk on your money? Then register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. Parker's property adventure was starting to become more than an occasional bonus check. It was time to take the next step. So what we started doing, um, I, I took a year of unpaid leave from work. So I still had my job which was important because um, that meant we had serviceability for, for our loans. It was interesting that IT company I'd gone to, remember I said I'd got um, that other job. So um, they were called Expert Information Services and then what happened, they got bought by an Indian company who was trying to basically outsource it all. So. The, the, the plan for them was to eventually get rid of all the staff anyway to basically take all the knowledge and to replace it with Indian um, cheaper labour. Um, so for in, at that time, it was just fortunate that I could sit there and go, you know what, um, can I have a, a, a year of unpaid leave? And they went, that suits us fine, like because realistically, we don't have to retrench you and hopefully you go anyway. So from that point of view, yeah, I, whether it was good timing, but it wasn't too long after that when we started um, getting a lease out of her job as well. Um, and for her, it was start by cutting back a day a week. So in her review, uh, when they, instead of offering a, a salary increase, what she said was, can I cut back to four days a week? And then the next, I think it was six months later, she actually went back and said, hey, I want to cut back another day. So she ended up being two days a week with her employer until we got to the point where she could then also leave her job full time. From a profit standpoint, Parker probably could have left his job much earlier. He certainly wasn't enjoying it. So, why did he stick around as long as he did? It was serviceability for the banks. So, there's obviously two parts of a loan. There's one having a deposit and there's two having serviceability which means your, your ability to pay that loan back from the, or to the bank. So, um, yeah, that's why we kept the jobs uh, for as long as we could. Until we could, until we had a proven track record of income from the properties, so that that just there was a transition period there, uh, why that happened. While it was great finally turning property into a career, Parker says the first few years were like the start of most businesses, pretty tight. But the other thing that we did during that time was we we joint ventured with people who had incomes, uh, in order to I guess leverage their serviceability as well. So there was all these little tricks and things we were doing. So. We were just joint venture again because we didn't have a whole heap of money. Um, we still didn't have money. Like any money we had, we're, we're buying like New Zealand property, for example. Um, so when I first got back from there and I took that year off, we started doing renovation projects, um, and we yeah we just joint ventured with a whole heap of people. So I, I can remember doing um, some deals with a plumber and a builder um, at the tennis club that I played with and the neighbours. Uh, from that very first house that we renovated, the one that took 12 months when we lived in it, um, we, we became good friends with the, with the neighbours next door and they were in their 
their 60s at the time and they had a block of land in Tasmania that they owned outright that had some equity in it. So we used that equity to buy a house um, and then we did the work. We all did the work together, but they actually put all the money into it. Um, so there was a whole heap of these things that we did in order to, um, I guess, to do as many projects as we possibly could. We, I guess going back to that, if the deal's good enough, the money will come. We just kept finding projects and then kept finding money partners in order to do it. Um, and although we were giving away a lot of the profits at that time, like we'd share profits 50-50 or whatever, um, we were gaining incredibly good experience and also building a track record for the banks, um, showing them that we could actually do this sort of stuff. Only a few months after getting started, Parker and his wife settled into handy niche, the renovations. Combining their business backgrounds and property experience, they created a repeatable system. We might have done 50 renos or maybe 40 or 50 renos before we started development and we, we were able to create a really good system around it. So we were doing, most of the houses we were doing were brick veneer, on slab um, and they were just cosmetic maybe kitchens and bathrooms, but paint, landscaping, and just bringing them back to life. Um, so yeah, we, we created this spreadsheet to control our costs. And the other key thing that we did is we understood finance and what we learned was that you could get a non-completion valuation done. So if we bought a house for 200,000, um, we, we could give the specifications to the bank and say, here's what, it, here's what the specs are. We want to get an on-completion val done and they'd They'd go off to a buyer and say, here it is, and they'd go to check out that property and they'd come back and say, all right, well, if you do all these things to it, it's going to be worth $260,000 at the end. So by doing that, that meant that the minute we finished the property, we could actually pull the equity out that we've created and push that into our next deal. So that was a key for, again, for doing lots of projects because I guess generally what people do, they buy a property, they renovate it, they don't know how much they're going to spend, they get out the other end, they don't know what it's going to be worth and then they sit there and leave it on the market for two or three months and then it takes another two or three months to settle and then they get the money at the end, which is probably a bit lucky because they don't know, they didn't budget properly and they didn't know what it was going to be worth at the other end um, and then they don't, like they're not using that money effectively but by creating those systems around the renovations, that's how we actually were able to, to know pretty clearly what we were going to make um, and how quickly we could do it and then how quick we could get that money out to stick it back straight back into another project and and that's one of the key reasons why we're able to do so many renos so quickly like as i said we've we've renovated 200 plus properties in that time like and that was because we we just did heaps of those and we created this really good system and we used the same colors and the tiles and everything else was all the same and um, was just a cookie cutter machine that we just put a property into and it spat out a profit basically which was great. Things were going well for Parker, at least in the small bubble of renovation. His next turn was another moment of not how but who. We did a lot of the work early on um, but yeah, it got to the point where we couldn't do the work all ourselves because we just had too many projects that we were doing um, and I guess the, the catalyst for development was um, again at one of um, propertyinvesting.com uh, events um, we were we would use we used to help out at the events so um, when you'd help out at the end of the event Steve would take all the helpers out to a dinner um, just to thank us for, for helping out the, at the event um, and look they were always great for us because one we got to learn and two um, yeah the the 
after event where you sat down with Steve and the team was always probably the best. It was that was better than actually going to the event because you got to you got to sit down with Steve and talk to him for an hour and you also get to, whoever the speaker was at the time you used to sit down and have a really good conversation with them. So it was actually one of those after events we met a guy called Mark Nails. I had no idea who he, who he was, but I ended up sitting beside him and um, at, at one of these post-event dinners um, and he was there to check out he was going to start speaking uh, with Steve so he'd, he'd been over to just have a look at how Steve ran his events and things and we got talking and he's telling me what he was doing over there and I said oh well I've never really thought about it he said oh, mate I've renovated heaps of stuff you like developing's not that hard you should come over and check out what we're doing so anyway I think we paid him 1500 bucks or two grand to go over there for one day so he just said i'll come over and i'll i'll allocate a day to you and we were happy to pay that money because in the big scheme of things we thought oh well we're going to learn a lot um so we sat basically he picked us up from the airport we drove around all day looked at what he did he looked at a i think he bought a site that day um he literally did back of the envelope numbers i'm not not saying that that's how we we do it now but that's that's what he did at the time um, but I mean, that's what he, he had a cookie cutter machine for what he was doing. They say you should never meet your heroes, but Parker has no idea why. From that moment onwards, he would see things that only few people could. He would basically buy a house, build two in the backyard, and he just knew what it would cost to build him. He knew what he could pay for the land, and he knew he could sell these things for. So he had, I guess, a similar sort of process and system set up for de- developing that we had for renovations. So, um, the, the thing was, after coming back, all of a sudden we, we looked at the pro- property differently altogether because although all these houses were renovating, um, which was all great, but now we could we could see if a, if a house had a big block of land, all of a sudden we could renovate the house plus build one in the backyard. Uh, and that's where it all began. And that's, that's what happened. There was a, that, that first property I was telling you about uh, that had all the drug um, the stuff in it, that was a property that had gone to auction it had passed in um, and I was trying to make it work from a renovation point of view and couldn't make the numbers work. We went over to see Marty, talks about the stuff in the backyard and then all of a sudden I come back and re-look at that property. It's, it's sitting on 800 square metres of land and we can stick a easily stick a townhouse in the backyard. So we bought it that next week and all of a sudden there's our first development site. Um, so, um, And that's what happened basically. Parker doesn't think you could sum up what sets him apart from other investors, at least not in one skill or strategy. However, if you had to come close, here's what he says. All deals are all about the numbers fundamentally. So whether it's a renovation or a development, we've got feasibilities that we run uh, as part of our due diligence. I mean, we never buy anything, whether it be a renovation or a development without a due diligence clause. Um, because one, I don't want to sit there and waste time on a project only for it to be sold to someone else because our due diligence is very particular. So we always want to get it under contract, then we do our due diligence. Um, if we need to negotiate the price at the end of that, we do. Um, if we don't, then we just we go unconditional. But that due diligence process is all about uh, understanding the numbers and 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 um, and making sure locking locking in any quotes or anything we need to do and going from there. So, I mean, I'll give you one example. Um, I. And just from a pricing point of view, uh, when we were doing the projects in Ballarat, and Ballarat's obviously a regional part of Melbourne and, and very, or Victoria, I should say, um, and very affordable type of property. Um, and we went from Ballarat to Brisbane. So we moved up here in 2011. 
Um, and we, we'd gone from doing townhouses that were selling for, so these are two and three bedroom townhouses that were selling for in between like 220 and 250,000 for a freestanding um, 120 square meter townhouse. And then all of a sudden we go up to Brisbane um, and we're buying property in Cooparoo, which is about five Ks out of the city. Um, and for a block of seven apartments, which was the first project we bought up here, it was $2 million. It's just that the numbers did change a bit. And so instead of instead of um, buying raw land for sort of 20 to 30 to $40,000 a site, all of a sudden you're paying 80 to 90 to 100 grand a site. Instead of instead of selling for 200,000, you're selling for four to 500,000. Or I mean, we're selling properties for six, sevens, eights, nines, a million dollars now. So, um, which is yeah, not unusual. But when you're doing tens and twenties and thirties of them at one time, those numbers start getting pretty big. So we've gone from literally paying nothing or selling a brand new finished product in Victoria for 200 grand, and now all of a sudden we're paying. 10 times that to buy a block of a, like a, an existing built in the 1970s needing a full renovation block of apartments so um, that was a, again just another mindset thing to go well hold on that's a hell of a lot of money all of a sudden but when you, we did our feasibility and understood that we could buy it for that and sell it for something else and and knew exactly what we were going to spend on the renovation works and and how much the holding costs would be and where the risks were and getting that on completion valuation done throughout the process we could take away a lot of the risk and and fundamentally it doesn't matter what the purchase price is it's all about i guess reducing the risks of of what you're going to be doing uh in order to to make the project work the bad news is that not everyone is born with a natural talent for project management as Parker knows, the good news is that you don't have to in order to be successful. Look, it's mindset, but it's I guess fundamentally across the board, it's education, it's it's knowledge. Like we continually, I guess, educated ourselves and built up our knowledge and experience to the point that you feel confident in doing those projects and you feel confident in your numbers and and the process. So when we came up here, we didn't obviously assume that we could pay the same amount for a kitchen up here that we were doing in Ballarat. We turned around and went, let's go off and get some quotes for kitchens up here. So let's find out how much the kitchens are going to be. Let's, And in our renovation process, like we've got hundreds of things that we price. So we would price every single single every single item in there to make sure that we, we were sure in our numbers. So realistically, it's just knowledge and process um, that takes the fear away. Um, the the num the the mindset about the number is not I mean it's there because it's another it can be another zero like we were never doing million dollar projects and realistically now most of our projects are over ten million dollars so um, but realistically the process that we follow is the same it's just that we're we're dealing with a bigger number now. Parker's attention to detail might seem a bit extreme. However, it's only because he's seen the consequences of investing in the dark. Oh, look, I think um, my my advice would be it's all about the numbers. Um, I'm sure someone's probably told me that before, um, but fundamentally, all projects it's would take your emotion and everything else aside. Um, it's just being diligent in understanding your feasibility um, of. I've been doing a little, we've just started doing some some speak again uh, just recently and a lot of people are coming up to me afterwards telling me about all these deals that they're doing where they're, 
where they, they didn't know the prices to get in and they've jumped in and they've done the project and not really had any process to follow and they're losing like significant amounts of money like a couple that i met just last week um down at steve's last mega conference um told me about a, a project that they bought here that they uh, were going to try and stick one in the backyard and they've now found out that they can't build anything in the backyard because of a um, it's called an overland flow path, which is not flooding, but it's actually just where water would run through in a very heavy rain. Um, and that stops them from developing it. So this is their first investment um, and they're going to lose a hundred grand. Like they put about 120 to 150 grand in and they're going to lose a hundred of that in their first go. So, I mean, for me, it's it, one, it's all about the numbers and it's two, just educate yourself. Like seriously, um, that's why I want to get back into this stuff. I, I hate hearing about that sort of thing. Like, we've been lucky enough to to be mentored by by people who have drilled that into us enough. But for people who are out there that that don't get that or think, oh, I'm not going to pay for education. I'll just have a go at it. Seriously, there's too much to risk. It's we're not buying a a DVD here or a or a new bike or a new car. We're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for a property. And these things can go pear-shaped very quickly, whether it's just a simple investment property or whether it's a renovation or whether it's a development. There's just so many things to consider uh, before going into this. So, yeah, I'm just passionate about helping people out and, and getting them on the right track again. Parker is so full of real fascinating stories of risk and reward that twist and turn as much as any narrative. It seems a miracle he and his wife have come out on the other side in one piece. He says miracles aren't the reasons of success, but instead, some crucial personal qualities are. I think one thing that Elise and I are, are, are very good at is just getting something finished. Um, there's always we, we call it project fatigue. We can you can get into a project and then get a bit hard, and you get to the end of a reno and you've got all those last little bits to do, and those last little bits take the longest time. But we would just get it done before we moved on to the next thing. And some people can get a bit bored and like, oh, I just want this to finish and all, all of a sudden try and start doing something else first. But we would just get in and if we had a project, we would get it finished. And we wouldn't let it, I guess, simmer away and then be a problem. So yeah, that's probably, um, I think that's a trait that we've definitely, uh, I think is a good thing. Um, but uh, look, I think just communication and doing the right thing by people. Um, like the reason why we always had uh, trades that would work for us and that were always show up is because we paid every week. Um, we we had a weekly pay run because we understood that that was important to trades was to get paid. So some builders didn't pay them or they paid them like in a month or whatever. So um, trades aren't necessarily um, the best at managing their cash, especially when it can be sporadic when it comes in when you've got your own business. So. It's, it's pretty fundamental to, to, to get paid uh, at all, but on a weekly basis made it even more appealing. So that was just something that like some of the things that we did was to say, all right, well, if you get your invoices in by, by Sunday night, then they'd definitely get paid by Tuesday. Like that was just the rule that we had and everyone knew it. And that's why we had people that were always happy to work for us. I guess another thing that Dave Bradley definitely um, instilled into us was cash flow um, and just making sure that we knew how knew what cash flow meant and to make sure that we always have enough money. Um, and I guess that comes back to those feasibilities again that we we're talking about that 
we wouldn't just factor in with renovation costs, but you also factor in your holding costs and some extra holding costs and everything else to make sure that you have enough money to finish the project um, so that you're not halfway through going, oh, we need more, what are we going to do? Um, we would always get all of the capital we needed up front and make sure that we had it all there and then, uh, yeah, obviously made that project very smooth thereafter. For all his wealth of property knowledge and experience, Parker's advice is simple. Have a crack, get in there. Which, I mean, that's what we did, but if, if I was saying it to anyone else, like, if you don't do it, if you don't do it now, when are you going to do it? And luckily, yeah, we had some people that supported us in doing that at the time, but um, yeah, I'm, look, I guess I'd be, I'm just glad that we sort of did that at the time. But yeah, it'd be. Just get in, get, get in there and have a go, educate yourself and have a go. How has Parker's own strategy changed as he has grown in investment maturity? So we would always try and keep um, one or two in a, in a project uh, as we went. So we, we did build up a, a portfolio and then we'd get to a point we'd go, you know what, we probably need some capital and we sell some and then we'd, we'd do the same thing again. So yeah, look, our, our portfolio is worth about $10 million personally at the moment. Um, of which, again, some of that we're selling. We've got some properties in Ballarat and Ballarat market's going quite strongly at the moment. So I just figure that's a good time to be to be selling it. Um, again, nothing apart from the house we live in is an emotional uh, purchase, but everything else is, has got a really just a number and a return attached. So um, we, even though we're building a portfolio, and that doesn't mean that, um, that it has to stay there forever. And I guess the thing that has changed is that our the portfolio that we're building now is more a or based on a, a return of a rental return, like a, a significantly positive rental return rather than something that might be for capital growth. So what's next for Parker? Anything else for him to conquer? What we're doing at the moment is we're setting up, um, I guess, the education up front because I, I've been on the front end of selling uh, the last couple of months because I wanted to actually get in there and see what it's like to to sell property um, and to talk to people. So I've, I've realised that first home buyers and a lot of investors actually don't really know what they're doing. Um, so that's a big part of the reason why we want to start the education events to for first home buyers to actually explain to them what a contract is and how to buy and what the purchase costs will be and what your holding costs will be. So people don't jump into stuff without actually having some sort of method i guess method to the madness um i guess and not only about that process but where to buy and what's likely to achieve capital growth and all those sort of things as well so um, i'm excited to build that education side of the business which is new for us parker says the best parts of his achievements haven't been financial at all but something else entirely elise and i have always loved helping people so um yeah that's one thing that we're excited about doing um, the property continuing to deliver high quality properties into the market that are that are great for owner occupiers and also investors. Uh, we're finding that even though we're doing, I guess, quite high spec, we try to always be best in market. Um, that we're getting a lot of investors that are buying our product because it's high quality, the warranties are good, they always get great tenants, the tenants stay in there. So from that point of view, we're, yeah, we're excited to continue to deliver those sort of projects. And the third part of it then is to offer the ongoing management. So our mission statement is satisfaction beyond the keys, which is um, as a developer, not only selling you something, um, but also managing it for you and 
and making and standing by it and making sure it's going to be a, a great project or a great property or a great investment for you into the future. Um, and so that if something does go wrong, you've got us to turn to who know everything about the property. We created it. Uh, we organise the builder and we, we know who to contact if, if something does go wrong and happy to support people in that process. Thank you to Dean Parker, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you love the show, perhaps you're now ready to invest your money in a low-risk, high-return deal. If you are, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a lender. There are amazing opportunities in the property market right now. And I'm looking for lenders who want to invest their money for as short as 6 months. What are you waiting for? Don't let your money just sit in the bank. To register your interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.